Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Keen Light Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast that now has the mention of whiskey in its title. This is your host, Jake, speaking. Uh, we changed our podcast about a week ago to Key in the Lake Whiskey Podcast, formerly known as the Key in the Lake Podcast. We wanted to make it more searchable for people out there looking for whiskey looking for whiskey conversations and also people that are um, you know, not subscribed to us and just kind of find us a little bit easier and get out there in um, more of a visual way when um, searching for podcasts, whiskey podcasts out there on all various platforms. Still updating a few of those platforms and having some trouble uh, talking to people about changing the names, making it more, making it searchable still, and getting any episodes that uh, might not be showing up on your feed that have already been recorded and posted. So working on that, if your uh, iTunes is the easiest way to find us, and also with Spotify too. But um, yeah, we uh, I'm recording before a little um, intro because we had some technical difficulties while recording and saving the podcast last week at Fountainhead. We continued our Fountainhead series with beverage director Bob Zacharias co-hosting with Wilson and myself. Um, and we had a wonderful guest on from their Fountainhead family, Ambrosia, who is the cider director of operations for the Northman. Northman was a cider bar that, that Fountainhead created about four years ago on the north side of Chicago. Unfortunately, it had to close its doors earlier this year, um, pre-pandemic, but they still have another on-site location in the Loop downtown on the Riverwalk, where it's called Northman Riverwalk. It's a great cider, cider bar, great place to hang out. Go check it out, please. Um, they have so many tables and a lot of capacity. It's all outdoors and front on the river, so beautiful scenery and easy to get to. Um, if you're visiting Chicago as well, coming in, um, great place to hang out for a couple hours while you can enjoy the sunshine before the, summer, the sun um, in the summer disappear. But uh, yeah, we actually... Um, we had four microphones going. Um, Some we were on actually appeared after we drank a Stiegel and put out the back signal. About two minutes later, he appeared, which Bob will be talking about um, in this podcast. But uh, we had four microphones going um, before Samu showed up. Still had four. And when I was saving the podcast, it my computer essentially crashed and only picked up, only saved two tracks. Unfortunately, it was only my, only Wilson's mic and Bob's mic. And unfortunately, for the most part, Ambrosia's mic was not uh, recorded. So... Her voice and my voice will sound very faint because I picked up the audio from Wilson and Bob's microphones and turned it up so you could kind of hear us. Uh, she was sitting right directly across from Bob's microphone, which was picking up a little bit better versus Wilson's microphone, which I was sitting across from. So Ambrosia's voice is still there. Um, mine's kind of there, but don't worry about that. We're more keen on getting the guests' opinions and information out there. And Ambrosia gave us an amazing, amazing history lesson on cider and her passion for it and how it's becoming more prevalent in the U.S. And one of those, um, one of the parts of the spirits industry will be really growing over the next few years and continue as it continues to do so over from the last 15 years. Samu also brought some great insight too, and he was using Bob's microphone, so everything was okay there. Unfortunately, though, we lost about the last 15 minutes of the podcast. Um, all of our mics crashed except for Bob's mic, and we really couldn't pick up any audio that would be clean enough to listen to. If this is your first time listening, we're a whiskey podcast that um, just enjoys conversations with anybody in the spirits industry, really. And right now we're kind of focusing on what's happening inside of the pandemic and how restaurants and bars are affected by that and transitioning and pivoting to keep their operation still going. Um, so uh, uh, Ambrosia also talks about that on here, about running the Northmen down the river walk, and then they're kind of their new operations in general when they're, as they're producing their own cider um, these days over in Michigan. 
Uh, unfortunately, like I said, the audio is not great here. We're usually of higher standards of audio and not too many problems going on, even though none of us are technical engineers when it comes to audio. But we try to do our best. I apologize if this is your first time listening to us and it's just kind of a lower version of audio for two of the four guests or two of the four people talking on here. I should actually say two of the five because Samu was here for about 30 minutes of the uh, 48-minute podcast. But I appreciate your time. Won't waste any more of it. Let's get to the episode. Cheers. I'm just going to start off every episode by thanking Cullum for taking a <laughs> sabbatical and going down to the Dominican Republic. So, uh, I think he's, like I said last like, weekend, he's fished in place, and now it's the too. Yeah. Probably yeah. You guys right, yeah. But uh, welcome back, and thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Happy to hang Thank out Thank you, you very much. And uh, our guest this week is part of the Fountainhead family. Yes, she is. Ambrosia. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What is your exact role for the man? Or for the woman? At the North. <laughs> the river man. <laughs> She's the river woman. For, uh, for some reason, it seems like people somehow can like mix up the word the Northman. Yes. Word like because I of a, the river. A, a fellow person who owns a he's actually the owner of the bowling alley down the street. Mm-hmm. He would always call it the Northwood. Yeah. Northwood. The Northwood. Oh, is that Will's Northwoods though? Yeah, I don't know. Northwood, yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyways. He, anyways, he was just too. for some reason it's a, one of those things that gets mixed up. Welcome, Ambrosia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great smile. She's got such a great smile. <laughs> She has a good hat on, too. She does have a great hat on today. Black on black, Star Wars hat. Flat bill, snapback. Those are your new era stores, your lid stores. <laughs> <laughs> are lids open these days? Lids, uh, no, only uh, pickup orders only. Or ship. You know that? I do. <laughs> <laughs> You've been buying some hats. I've been looking at some hats. Willie was been wanting a couple hats, so I was ordering a couple for him. So That's your set. That is my set. Yeah. Um, but how's it all been going? Uh, it's good. Yeah, the river walk is an interesting piece. I'm sure on its own. Explain where it's at here in Chicago. So the Chicago River Walk is a stretch of property from the lake to the split of the river into the north and the south branch, mm-hmm. and it has purveyors along the way. Um, we are between Columbus and Michigan. We have a Beer garden. Huge. Yeah. Pretty much spanning from the Columbus to the Michigan Bridge. That is huge. And how are you guys? What's your operations right now? As we're in technically in phase four, but possibly going back to phase three eventually? Uh, so, I'm not sure if we go back to phase three, how that's going to look. It might be slightly different for us. But uh, we have a lot of reservations. Um, we also keep track of everyone that comes in for COVID tracing. Oh. So we have a, a system worked out with that, with wristbands, and uh, we also have um, QR codes at the table, so okay. you can do contactless payment. Um, Very cool. And so we've just kind of switched around pretty much our entire format to accommodate and make sure that we keep everyone safe. What's the um, capacity? Adaptation. There? Yeah, adaptation is so cool. Um, capacity is not, re- it's outdoors, the whole thing. Yeah. It's nothing indoors. Um, so... If we're looking at the amount of tables that we have, let's see, that's fifteen. Bobby, you're kind of explaining Nine, last week. Six, so about thirty tables right now. Thirty tables. The half course is under construction, so mm-hmm. uh, as soon as that construction's done, we'll be adding more tables. Shit. Yeah, so we're we're not on a, a percentage capacity of what we can have. No, so we don't like the city doesn't dictate like a percentage of capacity that we can have outside. 
that would just uh, that would just impact the inside dining is at the 25 percent so 50 on capacity on interesting uh, there's not i don't think there's an actual okay as far as I, and i don't i'm I, the no, chance hey. that i'm wrong but everything that my language all the language that, that I read was not an actual percentage of capacity. It's the amount of people per table and okay. distancing. Between those, each table and all that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so 10 people at a table? Which is now going back to six. Yes. Starting Friday. Starting Friday. Starting Friday, we'll be back to six. Yeah, that's, that's what's so fucked up about all this is that it's each day it's different. I can't imagine how you guys try to keep up with that on top of everything else that you try to do to make operations go as smoothly as possible, you know. It's a, a lot of challenges. Yeah, I'm sure. Thrown at you. Um, last week, uh, two weekends ago maybe, I was listening to, I was listening to NPR before I leave the house, and I heard that the river walk is open. <laughs> 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 I worked there. Uh, so I headed down, and I get a call from the director of operations, and he was like, yeah, the river walk's open. He's like, I appreciate you not calling me before my shift started. Yeah. <laughs> but I already found out from Terry Jones. Right. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Terry. That was the day you were here, too, about two weeks ago, right? Yeah. The after the yeah. Long time period where everyone just gave them a heads up through whatever method they can find it. Not yeah. Whatsoever. You're like, well, got to hire staff back, got to get the menus, got to do everything to take precautions, make sure it's safe. And how are we allowing people down on the river walk? Because it was initially only to be down there if you were jogging in a certain period of time. Like, was it like 6 a.m. to 11 a.m.? Okay. Mm-hmm. You're very close. And then they would close it for an hour, right? Yeah, close it down, and then uh, it was barricaded at each site, and so you could only enter to our site through the Columbus Bridge. You couldn't actually walk the river walk, which... Did you have to have a reservation to be down there yeah. in the hotel? Okay. No, I had heard that at one point, but I think Bobby corrected me on the last podcast that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. So you did, yeah. Yeah, all Don't have to have... They, they certainly encourage reservations. Yeah. And sure. Encourage, encourage everybody down there exactly to encourage customers to make reservations but they mm. we do allow walk-ins yeah. before we get into all the dreaded details of today let's go back with you and see how you got your start with fountainhead the whole family here offset the northman too that was originally over here in the great neighborhood of ravenswood yeah yeah where's all begin i uh, moved back to chicago in 2013 and really searched for my cider fan my, my cider mm. friends and I was bartending at a, a real small corner bar um, over on Ravenswood and uh, Wrightwood and just talking about cider and talking about cider and talking about cider. And finally, somebody that came in said that they knew the chef that was opening up the cider bar here in Chicago. Mm. And uh, so I got his contact information, sent my resume through, and about halfway through my interview here at Fountainhead, <laughs> uh, the now director of ops said, how's your beer knowledge? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't really, you know you're interviewing for the Fountainhead Roof Deck right now, right? No, I thought I was interviewing for the Cider Bar, but I'll learn beer. (laughs) (laughs) And they kept me, they they took me in here, and the two years that we were opening the Northman, I bartended here at Fountainhead, and then when we opened, I went over there and started as the assistant general manager, and then became the, the general manager, and ran that bar for four years. Wow. And uh, we sadly closed down in February uh, to focus more on our pub cider. Yeah. And uh, we have the. Which the we should. Oh. As well. well yeah. You know, we have a 
pub cider right here. Pub cider, How yeah. Convenient. Is that a brand new brand Northman new? pub cider, right? This is the brand new Northman pub cider. Uh, so before it was caught, it was made for us by Uncle John. And it was an amazing, awesome cider. And um, now I'm the director of Cider Ops. And um, we have kind of changed it slightly. <laughs> Really? What those loyal pub cider fans are going to think of this new batch. So pub cider, is it just is that a category or is it just something you just you're calling it just pub cider cuz it's it's made to stay on brand with the pub? Both. Okay. Uh, so when we talk about pub cider, we talk about uh, we have two different types of of expressions in the English. I can smell it countries. and it's fucking delicious. We have um, a pub cider which is a sessionable, uh, easy drinking, okay. lower ABV cider-flavored cider pint, uh, or we can call it modern cider, which is what we refer to a lot. And then you have uh, traditional cider or heritage cider that is more aggressive with the funk and good job, Bob. Sorry, guys. First, first day? Yeah, yeah, right. I just started, guys. <laughs> it's all water. Yeah. Just so you know. uh, then, so the, the heritage of traditional ciders are the ones that are going to be funky and dry. Oh, uh, okay. And the ones that you think about a little bit more when you drink them. I love the very, the minty green look of it. It's really clear. It's very clear. Yeah. It almost, I, if I were to look at it, it looks like a Vino Verde. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been rocking some serious Vino Verde. Good, nice. I love it. I'm going to love this, all right, I can tell. Cheers. Hey, cheers, cheers guys. Thank hey. you for sharing. First taste. First taste. First taste. First taste. Brand new Northman pub cider. Hot off the canine yesterday. yesterday. They're Robin just... Yep. No shit. Yep. Oh, that's right. You mentioned you were just you just got back. I'm also backing it up with a uh, with a little Stegel pot of Celsius, uh, in hopes of conjuring up uh, one Samu Ran. There's always there's always a fun little joke of uh, how long does it take after Stegel is poured for Samu to, to see the Samu up. show up. Where's your cool glasses? Oh shit. Where are my cool glasses? Oh, they're on my dinner table. One of many gifts that Wilson received last week was a pair of Stegel glasses. Stegel glasses. Sunglasses. Sunglasses. Oh, wow. This is fun. So, bright acidity. Yep. Which is the marker of uh, American cider. We have a lot of sharps uh, at our disposal. Sharp mm-hmm. apples with sweets, sharps, bitter sweets, and, and bitter sharps. Lots of different talks about different types of apples. And different from anything that's grain based, we talk about the fruit that goes in it and not the recipe. Why cider? <laughs> In a way. Uh, but it's it's just a very common drink. Um, cider down the road, down down the line, uh, is not split by gender. It's it's almost fifty fifty on who's drinking it. Very cool. It it's unassuming. It don't have to.
so clean. So I, I started with wine. I, I started culinary, actually. I okay. was culinary school as a chef. And we had a lot of wine training. And I, when I left back the house, I found a lot of people who are interested in wine or collectors. So I'm going to be real big. Do you have an E? Any E on this podcast? Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you're good. Cool. Assholes. They're assholes. Uh, yes. <laughs> they, they just want to talk about what? what's in their cellar and how much they spent on it. And they don't even care about what's in the glass. And it's, it's just a bunch of rich middle-aged white dudes telling you what to drink. And when I found cider... I'll be one of them soon. Me too. Me too. Oh, man. When I found cider, it's, it's no pretension. It's... Right. Yeah. It's, it's crack the can, take it off, pop the bottle, and drink it down. Really I love it. it comes from, too. It's one of those spheres mm-hmm. where it's right in there. Yeah. That is... Cider has kind of been my thing. And I, and I think part of the... You know, could correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea, you know, having this pub cider is having something that is the sessionable aspect of it, right? You can have multiples of them. It's yeah, even just could. this. I'm, I I'm mean, going right back to it. Uh, the finish is dry. Just it, it's almost leaves your mouth kind of watering a little bit. Yeah, um, I agree. Just wants you to come back to it. I mean, this is something mm-hmm. that uh, whether you're a massive cider fan um, that knows everything, all the different types of cider, where they're produced, mm-hmm. or you can't drink beer, and that's how you got into yeah. cider. Um, there might be a, a gluten allergy yeah. or anything. This is something that I immediately just want to go back to. This uh, is very, so it's, it's very, very well done. Yeah, it's yeah. very clean, very crisp, very tongue tangtalizing, um, tangy, sweet, bitter. Fruity, not, not fruity. so much bitter. But sweet. Yeah. Fruity. Okay. It's one of like, what do you call. So. Okay, so no sugar. So what's the proper term then to use it? Just fruity then? or Okay. When fruity it is. Like when you're describing your wines in your cellar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, get the fuck out of here. I told you guys. Oh Are you serious? <laughs> Are you fucking serious well, right now? Um, Bob, Bob did a... Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Literally. Put out the bat signal. Um, and said, I'm having a Stiegel, and we'll see if we can conjure up Samu. And, well, Samu... Appears. North and Pub That cider. is crazy. Afternoon, sir. Hello, everyone. Make an entrance. So, with cider, um, when Northman opened up four or five years ago, four years ago, was that was it fair enough to say that was the premier cider bar in Chicago? Definitely. Definitely, Definitely in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and um, one one of the top in the country too, I would yes. say. I'm trying to not. I'm trying, right, right, trying to not <laughs> show bias, but like a total no, 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 no. It was. Yeah. Toot your horn, love. I mean, Toot it. That's cool. Oh, oh. Portland are one and two, and Chicago's three. That's all right. That's okay. That's all right. Baby steps. What is kind of the interest in cider? Start things start growing in Chicago. 
one point two damage. The craft beer <laughs> movement. Mm, kind of. I mean, with the craft beer movement, what you have is an educated consumer, right? People yeah. caring about what goes in the glass. I like to compare the cider movement more towards the American whiskey movement, right? So during okay. prohibition, they torched our orchards, yes. chopped them all up, brought them all over, and so for a long time we didn't really have any apples to make good cider with. It was very similar to American whiskey, where they got rid of a lot of the stuff that was aging, and for the longest yeah. time it was just kind of shit. And as we see more of an educated consumer and more adventurous, especially with the new meals, really wanting to try different things, sure. cider comes into play. And yes, the craft beer bars definitely ushered that in and gave it a home, more so than the wine, as okay. we've covered here right. before. Gotcha. Not as open door. <laughs> and it really started to help cider come together. And with, with cider getting pushed, then we have more plants that are being grown, more cider-specific apples that are able to be grown, because if you farmer can't sell product, why would he grow it? So, uh, it's much like corn. The distiller is trying to make it, trying to mash it with something you can actually not use. Well, not reuse, but actually reproduce the whiskey itself. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think for Chicago, I think one of the major brands that turned it around was Vanderbilt. Mm. Uh, and oh. And I would definitely mm-hmm. try to call Vanderbilt. Okay. Because he was coming to Chicago from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and just knocking on doors and, and selling his cider. And Vanderbilt, I think, is, is one of the first major cider brands to really get cider into the minds of Chicago. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but didn't, wasn't there something, who was that brand at, they called the Mitten or something like that? Virtue. Virtue, Virtue. Yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, Virtue is um, Glenville, Michigan. Uh, Greg Hall worked for Street Island, and then when he left, got a non-compete, so we went into the cider. That's what's I Virtue. Okay. Yeah, he was like, no, I'll stay in whiskey. No, great. So it's been, I worked with him a lot, too, at Cobalt. We did a lot of pairings together. And the first year, we had an unusual, but in the basis, but also a great competition. That's kind of it. Judge the original. That's it, yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I see the eyes. I see the eyes that I'm giving. No, I'm not I mean, at all. it comes through. Your smile, your eyes, your uh, how you're just speaking of it, you're you're glowing with it. That being said, when with the Northmen having to uh, when you guys made your decision in regards to the actual Northman pub, how did that make you feel? I mean, how long did it take you to get over that? Uh, I'm still you're still not over it. No, definitely not. Um, okay. I mean, I, Tattoo when we started it and opened it. Yeah. And got one when we closed it. It was probably the best four years of my life. Mm. Yeah. And um, we actually closed it the day after Chicago Cider Week, which is something that I founded. Oh. oh. Four years ago, three years ago. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Four, I think we four, just did our fourth yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that takes place uh, in and around Cider Con, which is a huge Cider conference. And um, this year we had I think 62 events all over the city. And so I was I was in CiderCon, which was in Oakland, and I did a few panels, and we got a big award for like best cider bar, and I got Pomoli of the year, and it was such a high. And then I come back to Chicago two yeah. weeks later, start Chicago Cider Week, and that's when we announced to the public that we were closing the day after. Oh. So it was, and then two weeks later, COVID. Yeah. So oh. uh, you know, it's, it was whirlwind to say the least. I can totally but understand. Honestly, I think the best four years that I've What are some What are some ideas to to fill that void? Uh, definitely the pub cider. 
and okay. in working with specific orchards and really developing apple cultivation and really starting to get these apples growing and help out my farmer friends and yeah. also keeping cider in the forefront of people's minds downtown we have such a bigger bigger category like a span of people that we can correct yeah. we can reach out to and get people <coughs> thinking about cider in a way that mm -hmm. they never thought about it before especially here in the midwest too yeah, yeah. That's true. But I tell you what, this uh, uh, for this being excellent. your first go, yeah. this is like Vino Verde got laid in a uh, apple orchard, and that's the baby because. <laughs> can I quote you, Yes, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. You said that. Yes. yes. Vino Verde I'm got laid you, in the apple orchard. That is fucking delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That really. Oh yeah. It was deep, man. Oh yeah. It's deep. They love making. <laughs> Can I ask what whiskey was? Dude, I had a Bob Ross that ass, man. It was good. It was Pinhook, yeah. Pinhook's uh, Rye Humor. Rye Humor Castring. Okay. Fuck that. <laughs> the shit was fucking delicious. The blue, yeah, that really pretty blue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, something else that I'm getting really into and really passionate about is uh, Brady. Okay. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. For sure. Hey, man. Ooh, good question. Um, that's a great question. I, I learned I learned what true hospitality meant. Yeah. Mm. And how to not only give true hospitality, but how to inspire others to give right. true hospitality. I learned a lot about being a manager. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 as coming from being a chef and where you just throw things at people, yeah. that's just how you go. Um, really learning how to foster people and... and let them grow and in return them teaching me how to grow and creating an inclusive environment and educating through inebriation and getting people inspired to, to learn more. Yeah. It really it's hard to show your passion. It's, it's easy or, or simple I should say to pick out a passion, study it, be a part of it and have it grow within yourself but then you display that passion and show the people how it can it does affect um, our world, how scares you affect change and Cider, in a sense, is perhaps. Uh, hi there. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, um, I live pretty much just upstairs. I don't actually, but I might as well. As uh, frequently as I'm here. Anyway, uh, but I think one of the things about cider is that it is still such a small community relative to a number of the other categories that one can explore. So, yeah. the time that it takes to get to the 
top echelon of the wine world is arguably a lifetime. And not to mm, suggest that cider is any less rich of a tradition or um, deeply ingrained into the history and the culture of many, many countries, because it is, but the number of people who are as passionate and are as committed uh, is just a smaller set. Uh, it requires um, a particular kind of mindset. The cider, the cider fan is a very <laughs> unique customer for sure. Um, but if it's something that people are interested in, the, the barriers to entry are considerably lower than in some other places. Not that it's easy to make great cider, I'm not saying that, but you are able to find a community that will welcome and connect you with people who are uh, very capable makers and mm. still interested and willing to share their insights and their um, and sometimes their processes or even their, their cuttings. Mm. It's more likely to just sort of speak seed its um, community more broadly than a lot of other more um, secretive sort of disciplines. Is that because you're working with more farmers on a closer basis when it comes to, I would assume, more organic, small, uh, smaller farms? Yeah, uh, well, organic is Excuse me. People care. Uh, maybe us. <laughs> uh, no, it is. And, but it's it's open arms. It's welcome arms, and it's whatever you want. It's. I went out to uh, Ancho in DC to go give a, a Calvados lecture out there, and I told them, I go, hey guys, full disclosure, I'm about to start a cider company, and I, I don't want you taking me around to your facilities if you don't know that I'm about to be a competitor. Yeah. Not directly, but this is what I'm doing, and they're like, conversion that is so awesome. I'm so <laughs> excited for you. That's cool. Let's go. Okay, so we do this and we do this. We found that this system works better. This one doesn't so much. If you have leftover here, then you can reuse it here. Huh. And they like they all just gave me carte blanche, any information and all information that I wanted because they want to see another side of Francis. Yeah. And you don't really find that kind of open arms, at least I found in well, brandy, definitely in brandy, mm -hmm. but um, in other categories. I think whiskey has had a revival in that over yeah. the last four months. Um, I would say 10 years ago on the craft level, certainly was a part of it, was that learning how to distill together, learning how to get your grains and your resources, what barrels to use, um, everything that goes into the industry. But now, um, since COVID hit, and people were looking for materials to make hand sanitizer, to bottle hand sanitizer, ship hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer out, there's a big network growing across the United States, and we're having that back and forth communication of helping one another out, and hopefully refining that community where it was all founded upon. I mean, but it's—I mean—that could also be hit or miss because not. You're not fucking your well, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of these, a lot of there are so there are distillers out there that don't—they have—they want to only go to a certain point and not cross it. Like they don't want to do too much. Um, well, it's it, it community-wise, yes. There's a community. I think there's more on there's community within the smaller distilleries, artisanal distilleries, um, than there are the more established ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you can sit and you'll hear the established uh, distillers talk about how yeah we help one another out, but yeah, you guys been knowing each other for the last 40, 50 years as friends. But when it really comes down to the industry, there's really not a lot of camaraderie within that group than what there is surrounding it. Well, it's because it's 
out of their hands once it went into the distillery. Yeah. It runs into your hands and your distributors and your sales reps and your ambassadors like us assholes. And, and, there's, <laughs> yeah, and, there, and there's an aspect, too, of, of partnerships with, you know, yeah. whether, the, um, you know, how privately owned it is or if there's, you know, and there could still be Which is why the family I mean, aspect. Right. Speaking of, like, for instance, Wild Turkey Ooh, with Campari. Oh, we have you some know, Wild Turkey. Um, Weird. Uh, you know, I mean, that's still... Jimmy and Thank Eddie you. Russell are still at the very forefront right. of this brand. And while they have to work with Campari and there's certain things that they're asked to do, they still, you know, have the, the control of the, their whiskey. Right. And what, and the product Which speaks to the, to the point that exactly I was trying to make, that right. to a degree you can, you can only go so far. That's, that's a very good point. There's still not a lot of big money insider. No. There's barely. There's, there's, no there's well, Virtue, right. Okay. And aside from Virtue, in terms of ownership, where else really could one find that much big money? Sure, there are the comparatively larger outfits. Uh, Woodchuck, okay, there's another. But it's maybe something you could count on one hand before you start getting into a much more relative space of, well, I don't know, Schilling is pretty big relative to their market, but relative, again, to the money that's in Campari Com or mm -hmm. whoever else it might be, it's a totally different world. Um, but then also to echo your point, uh, the farmer community too. Again, having come up through, if not an organic, at least an agricultural structure, mm -hmm. and the way in which it was obligatory to help one another or else everybody would perish, and that's not putting too extreme a point on it, and that if you, if your crop failed, then so did your livelihood. And even amongst cider makers today who are considerably removed from that um, timeline or generation, uh, it still persists. It's a very... Uh, a long-standing tradition that I find to be very encouraging overall. So how can we say, how long far can we go back with uh, kind of crafting a cider community, you know, to our restaurants, to our bars, and more into the zeitgeist of drinking? How far back? So, uh, post-prohibition? Oh, at least more recently. I mean, more of a 10-year, 15-year? Uh, so the first commercial cider orchard was back in 1989. Okay. So it kind of came into like, the, the beer, craft beer classes then. I feel really shitty to know that 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 exists. I don't. I didn't know. I feel really shitty for it. I. We are. I mean, we're here to learn. I'll come hang out with anytime, bros. I was just. I feel really bad that I didn't know this. When was the first year for Glint's Cap? A lot of words you guys use, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just for me. A lot of acronyms inside There's always oh, yeah. something so for me to learn. Yes, so. Okay. Uh, so, I think we just had our 14th annual. It would have been the 15th this year, but it got postponed to next year. Glint Cap is the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition. My. The largest cider competition in the world, and it happens in Grand Rapids. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, both uh, both Ambrosia and Samaru have been judges there, right? Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. You guys have both judged oh, judge that. that. Well, that had to be with rousing. Uh, with with Cider Brian. Cider Brian. And Gabe Cook, uh, the Ciderologist. And Gabe Cook, the Ciderologist. That was quite a, it was almost a little bit of an animal house in a sense. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Will Moore, uh, formerly of Riverview Tavern, and then the Spiteful Tavern Manager, uh, and now wandering somewhere in Colorado. Uh, also one of the great cider advocates of all Chicago. He was part of that mix. 
um, Steve Wood. Uh, yeah, we had quite a quite a crew. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating competition in that I briefly describe it to people who've never heard of it as the GABF of cider, uh, since that's okay. the simplest way to translate it to somebody who does not speak cider in a sense. Um, but it is, as again with so many things with cider, built in a more traditional structure like um, a state fair, where if you achieve a certain level of quality, you are awarded this level of a medal. So it's not that just one person can win the bronze medal in this category. There are still best in shows, and those are very singular medals in Ambrosia, having been more involved with this in a longer period of time, can speak to it better than I. But yeah, it's again just another example of how inclusive the community is. Also a festival as well. Uh, there, is a, there is a one day. It's still one day, right? Uh, they turned it into Grand Rapids Cider Week. They have. Oh, Grand so much the better. All right, great. Grand Good Rapids has a cider week, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like whiskey, uh, whiskey live friends out there for the whiskey mm-hmm. listeners. Kind of put it that way. It sounds like that combined with like a San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to judge cider at the Good Food Awards. That's why I love cider, because the opportunity to pair it with food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it just goes so well with food. How do you develop menus like that at the Northern previously? Cooking with it okay. is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, we cooked with a lot of cider. Our fish and chips was uh, definitely more... Uh, big things are happening today at the Northern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just bumps all around. Uh, our fish and chips um, batter was made with cider. So it, and brown rice flour, so it was very cool. And the cider came in with it. Uh, vinaigrettes made with cider, um, marinating things in cider. So really putting it in the food, but also drawing on a lot of cultures that weren't disrupted by prohibition and leaning on their their cuisine because their cuisine automatically goes with cider. So we're talking about Asturias, Spain, the OGs of cider, uh, biggest consumption, largest producing region of cider in the world. Wow. Uh, France. Shit. And, uh, um, I thought it was just because it was on the north side of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 99 was the end of uh, the third crusade, second crusade. There are just so many of them. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's kind Yeah. Still white people. Hand in hand. <laughs> so, what did you guys think about the rose? Oh, yeah, now we're I on the Northman's rose uh, cider. I love that. <laughs> I, 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 I thought he drank it so fast. I thought he didn't get a taste of it, <laughs> yeah. so I poured him a second. <laughs> so him that's how that's how fast he drank it. <laughs> I really thought this was a rosé. Same here. Like, the nose. Hey, it's a rosé. You can tell that I'm definitely more wine-leaning mm-hmm. than brewers that get into the cider game. Definitely on the fine cider side. It's very juicy. It's not. Ambrosia's least, her, like, most hated two words are cider beer. I, I see. I, I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't even say that. I, I, I just love it. When someone <laughs> says, can I get a cider beer? I say, yeah, which one? Cider beer. It's fine. I know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> which one? Would you like a cider or a beer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want a cider beer. I don't, I don't think I ever want to say that. Assuming in that situation that there's going to be 
one cider on a menu, much less the yeah. variety that would make sense to be on a menu that's built beyond five or six selections. Well, I was. Thank you, Reds, for contributing to this. Yeah. Also, yeah. Miss Appleby. Ah, uh, yes. Reds Appleby. Oh, God. On the down low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, considering that brings up an interesting thought in regards to cider beer, um, because. I'm, hold on, Again, hear me out. Not afraid. Not hear a, me out. Not, I'm that's sorry. That's, that was, those were those were made up. Those were made up words. Made up words. <laughs> That I think opens up doors for opportunists and fans and such in-depth hands-on such as you and Bridger Ware. And now you can contract, make a specific or a proprietary formulated cider for said breweries to brand as their own. I mean, that will just, you said there's no money in it. So maybe up the and, game and, a little and, bit in and that one, sense, and one aspect know? of the, the whole, this whole you know, cider beer conversation and this is kind of comparing apples to grains so to speak uh, uh, just as in, as in a lot of people might might come in and sit at the bar and think that every scotch is smoky yes. true there are people that are just getting into cider that think that every cider is sweet um, and so it's a great way of um, yeah. being able to, to educate and have a conversation with people and, and you know uh, I think that's it's always at least something I love on the whiskey side, and I'm sure Ambrosia loves on the cider side, is being able to talk to people, and then when people try stuff that is a dry cider, like, oh, this is fantastic. This is like, this is not Angry Orchard. This is not something that is super sweet. And that's got to be fun for you, too, right? That, yeah, and I, I see that a lot more with Brandy, too. Uh, brandy, living so close to Wisconsin, has got a good brandy old fashioned, pretty mm. bad rap. Uh, I agree. So, uh, just like tequila back when everybody thought sure. it was Cuervo Gold. Um, that getting whiskey drinkers into brandy as a true and amazing category, that is really fun to me. I just picked up, uh, there's a, a house in Pontiac called uh, Bosch Caparison, and they just did the first time that Pontiac has ever been aged in American oak. Wow. Fantastic. I've in American oak. <laughs> same. Right uh, today. Well, not right now. Same size uh, behemoth of a, of a cask or, uh, or in 53 gals. Wow. And it's delicious. And I, I had it when I was over. I, I visit Cognac pretty often. And I had it over there. And I was like, well, I don't want this. And they were like, you are not surprised. <laughs> I, I'm an old man of brandy. I like my brandy very traditional. But I brought it into the market because it can get that whiskey drinker to think about how different wood is going to affect the spirit. And That's something I've been actually very curious about is why have more whiskey drinkers not embraced brandy to this point? Yeah. What they're told to like as much as what their palate actually that wants. That is correct. Yes. Out, I, and I posed a question on our Instagram page, which was interesting, about why people hunt for those brands, why they look for those brands, what inspires you to actually go ask your bartender for these certain alcohols. Correct. Sure. There's, there's, a, there's a variety of answers, and people are like, well, I want to have a flight with um, all the wellers at my house. And like, okay. I, I guess it's cool. I don't know. I mean, to each your own, but you miss out. We talked about so much last week. Was he missed out on the brands that are on that back shelf that don't get any attention? And I think brandy falls into that. I, mean, I agree. Talk about some brandies that are in America. Be like, we make brandy in America. <laughs> it's been almost stamped out from the consciousness since there's been so much time spent on focusing on the notion of American-made rye and bourbon, and mm. I think it might be also a cultural piece. Is that whiskey so much has been built up into this Anglophile sort of cultural yes. world, whereas then 
the, the notion of cognac, it's just, it's sort of shunted off to the side as, oh, well, you know, there's the French and all sorts of yep. cultural things that can be wrapped up in that, um, particularly among certain communities or generations. Uh, sure, go for it. Well, no, but the American uh, history of, of brandy, like what it is, is that we had brandy, we were making brandy way before we were making any sort of whiskey, but what happened is because the distillery, it's a seasonal product, and you're okay. only distilling half of the year or a very couple of months out of the year. Okay. When we started to go down uh, into Prohibition, it, the when the distilleries opened back up, they couldn't afford to only be making a product a couple of months out of the year. Gotcha. They needed a year-round product really to make them viable and to get back on their feet. Understood. And that's when brandy sort of disappeared because of its seasonality. And then we have the 80s when you start to get the craft distillery movement going. We've got uh, St. George, uh, California. Mm, California. The first ones in 81, I believe. Fact check in the corner. And <laughs> uh, we started to get... Uh, the only person that stayed open was Lance. That was that was laborious. Um, I'm curious to know. Tell me your own man story about your. Was it cognac that you mentioned or your brandy? Oh, I mean, all of my brandy friends know what I'm gonna like. I, I Cocorail is a, a Calvados producer. Calvados is so Calvados. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came in Pierre to like taste me out on the on the new expression that he had, and I was like, it was aged in bourbon barrels or something like that, finished in bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. He's like, I know, you're like my dad. <laughs> you like the more traditional, and then he has the new branding, going from a traditional um, Calvados bottle into one that looks more like a whiskey, whiskey bottle. bottle. Uh-huh. Well, I don't like it. He's like, I know you don't, but look. Yeah. We gotta, this we gotta is, change. Yeah, right. It'll sell. We gotta right. Make yeah. This. We got to get it in people's minds. The, his cider there, training there's as well. I mean, his cider training. Since we didn't have any bitter sharps or bitter sweets, Americans got really creative and they would add cranberries to give tannin structure or mm. hops to give it something interesting because a lot of these apples just don't really have much to them. Okay. And so Americans went crazy with it, putting everything that you can imagine. Somebody did a leg of lamb, Reverend Matt did a leg of lamb in a cider once. And I was like, what? On, guys. As long as there's not a milkshake cider, we're not ready for the milkshake cider. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I retract my statement. <laughs> just delete the last 10 seconds. <laughs> but I see it coming back now and focusing on the apples because we yeah. have them and, and going right. back into a more traditional packaging being updated because there is some hilarious farmer packaging. You look at something and be like, oh, that's cider. Uh, <laughs> so the packaging has definitely progressed into a more um, millennial Gen Z of appeal. But for the most part, the, the juice that's in 